Hey, everybody. Welcome back to On She Goes, episode 12. And we today are going to be talking to Nadine White and Jessica Van Dopp de Jesus uh, about food, travel, wine, luxury, etc. Some really nice, chill, laid-back chatter about fine dining and, you know, fine wines while you're abroad. So uh, keep listening. And then later, we're going to be talking to my sister, Sarah Wesley. She has a comedic yoga retreat coming up in Egypt in April, and she wants to tell you guys all about it. So thanks for tuning in. We are actually with Nadine White, who is a travel blogger by day and a physician by night. Uh, Nadine specializes in culinary travel experiences. Um, She is the mayor, (laughs) 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 not the official mayor, but you're the mayor of travel because you know all of the places to go, all of the spots to check out. And uh, she's also, again, the travel blogger of Sophisticated Life. Nadine, thank you so much for being with us. We're super stoked to have you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So are you, now you're in Atlanta. Where were you just at recently? So I just got back from a trip down under. We went to, my husband and I went to Australia and New Zealand. It was incredible. Highly recommend it for anyone. We fit a lot in in two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) But that's just how I am usually because, you know, most people don't get three months off to go traveling through. So we packed a lot in in two weeks, but it was amazing. So I just got back yesterday. So that kind of brings me to, like, the most people don't usually get three months off. That, that brings me to the question of, how did you become a travel blogger by day and a physician by night? It's usually the other way around, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I went to, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. So my grandmother told me anyway, since I was little. So I kind of went through all the formal education, college, medical school, residency. And so by 25, I was a doctor. Um, by 28, I had finished my pediatric residency. So my whole life pretty much up to that point was just medicine, science, training. Uh, but my mother um, and people who read my blog know that my mom is my major travel inspiration. We're Jama- from Jamaica originally, but she traveled all over the world. So I grew up watching her go to all these great places and coming back and talking about it. So when I finished residency, I decided at least I was going to see at least one new place every year. So that's kind of how it started, whether it's in the U.S. or international. And when I started my blog, I actually didn't know what blogging was, to be honest with you. Um, I created a website where I wanted all my friends to contribute and kind of just let people know about different experiences in different cities and different things that we were doing around the world. And it was after I started that website that somebody added me to like a blogging group. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm a blogger. Um, (laughs) And it just kind of took off from there. And it really was initially about sharing my experiences while traveling. And it's developed into a lot more than that um, since then in terms of giving people stuff that's useful for them, like travel guides. And I tell stories, but I also give guides to people to kind of let them know what to do and see in in areas that I go to. Has the, has, um, I don't know, kind of the motivation behind your travels evolved as you have traveled more and more? Like, did you start out just wanting to go and see these places and now you have like the, the travel and the food and the wine things to explore? 
Yes, they definitely developed over time. So I spent the first 10 years of my life in Jamaica. So I always traveled between New York, Florida, Jamaica, where my family lived. Um, my first big trip was to Hawaii when I was 15. And that was just amazing. I still remember that. So initially, it was just going to new places. I love going to someplace new, learning about the culture, learning about the people, seeing, you know, uh, World Heritage sites. And the food and wine definitely came later than that. Um, I won't say that I do all fine dining because to me, local food is just as good as fine dining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but my love for that and my love for wine definitely developed as I was traveling around the world. Um, and so now I'm at the point where I'm like, I want to study wine. I want to be like a connoisseur, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's come about over years of traveling to different areas. That's interesting to me because I feel like when it comes to, um, like, so when I think of food and wine, just even the two terms, I think of luxur luxury. Me I too. think of, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know. I just, think of, like, leather-bound books. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All know? things refined, yeah. uh, if you right, will. Right, right. As someone who has never really like only recently found travel attainable and still struggles mm, to like, mm -hmm. you know, break that barrier there. Luxury right. travel feels out of reach at times. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, one of the that. things that I've noticed about your blog is that you talk about the finer things in life, which is great right. because it feels very attainable for people like myself. Mm, mm -hmm. Has that always been the case for you? Like, how did you become so passionate about food and wine? And like, how do you fit into that space as a black woman, right. as a woman of color, you know? Right. So what's interesting is a couple of years ago, I went to uh, a meetup, a blogging meetup, and I was just talking about the things that I blogged about. And one of the bloggers said to me, well, you know, you are unique because you're a luxury travel blogger, you're a black female luxury travel blogger. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I had never really considered myself luxury in that sense. Again, I literally am a true lifestyle blog in that I write about the things that I'm passionate about. Right. I write about the things that I normally do. Nothing on my blog is, if I wasn't blogging, I'd still be doing all these things anyway. So when she put that title on, I thought, okay, I guess I am because I'm not, I'll be the first to say I'm not a backpacker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have gone glamping, mm -hmm. but usually I like nice hotels. I like going to spas. Um, as we mentioned, I like really good food. And again, that can be uh, from a night market in Chiang Mai, or it can be a fine dining French restaurant. So I just like quality, good food. Um, and I always enjoyed wine, but it became more of, um, it's so artistic to me in a sense and creative. The fact that wherever you are, you can make different wines based on the soil, based on the weather, based on how long you age it for, and uh, based on how, what the mixing process is. So every winemaker is an artist and very, it's a very creative process. And I think that's what kind of drew me to the wine factor. Um, so as I started traveling, I made food and wine a priority. So if I go anywhere where there is a wineries or a vineyard and that area is known for wine at all, then I make it a point to visit that area and learn about their winemaking process. As for your question, you're right. There's not a lot when we go on these tours. My husband is not a big wine drinker, but uh -huh. he comes with me. He's a good sport. <laughs> but usually there's not other black people on these tours. Right, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not common. And I have never felt pushback from the tour guides or from the winemakers at all. They all, to me, have treated me well. What I have found is other participants on the tours, which, which are not brown, kind of look at us like, hmm, yeah. how are you here? What do you know about right. wine? Or how can you afford to be here? And so we tend to drop little nuggets of information. 
<laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so, for instance, this just happened on the scene. I was so proud of myself. We were on Waiheke Island in New Zealand, wine uh-huh. tasting. It's a beautiful, beautiful island outside of Auckland, New Zealand. And it was a large group, probably about 35 of us. And they were doing a blind wine tasting. So anyway, they poured out the wine and they were asking people to guess what the wine was. And people were throwing out stuff and I kind of felt I knew what it was. And I said to my husband early on what I thought it was. He's like, say it, say it. (laughs) So I finally said, it's Pinot Gris. And they were like, exactly, that's it. And everyone looked at me like, (laughs) how does she know that? You know, and so we're not blatant with it. But when stuff like that comes up, we feel pretty proud that, yeah, Yeah. we're black, but we're here and we know about wine and food and um, so that's kind of what we do when that comes up, you know, in those situations. So, but like I said, the winemakers have always been friendly and, you know, welcoming. So I've never had an issue with that. And I've been everywhere from France to South Africa to now Australia wine tasting. It's just been a great experience. And what has been your favorite vineyard experience? So I will say in terms of beauty, Stellenbosch outside of South Africa, if you go to Cape Town, you have to go to Stellenbosch. They have a couple wine regions there, but that's the largest one and the closest to Cape Town. And it's just stunning. I mean, there's views of Table Mountain, there's rolling hills and vineyards, there's like wineries like on the cliffs. I mean, it's beauty wise, it's stunning. Um, But in terms of taste, that will really depend on what kind of wines you like. So if you like red wines, sweet wines, uh, white wines, for me, I love Napa Valley. Mm. And I mean, people be like, but that's in America. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And it is literally like still one of my favorite wine regions because they just make great wine. They make great calves. They make great Chardonnay. Uh, There's such a wide variety there between Napa and Sonoma. So if you're in the U.S. or coming to the U.S., I always tell people to go to Napa. Tell me a little bit about your Black Winemaker series. I saw that you were starting a Black Winemaker series, and I'm really curious about that. Yes. So a couple of years ago, um, a friend of mine, we wrote a blog post, and it was she did a Black History wine tasting. It was in the February one year, Ooh. and she attended that. And she wrote about it because once in a while I take guest posts from friends and um, different contributors. And it was such a big hit. You know, I mean, and I can understand why, because black winemakers aren't featured very much. Um, You don't really hear about them much. So I started looking into it myself. And so the last time I went to Napa, I went to the Brown Estate. Um, That's a black old um, winery in Napa. Mm -hmm. Have you guys been there? I haven't, but I'm familiar with them. I've talked to them before. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yes, I met um, the son who runs everything when we went. And um, I was really excited because the father is Jamaican. So he's a Jamaican doctor. So there was a connection there. And so I've kind of tried to seek out black winemakers. I've featured the Mandela family has a wine business. Um, Andre Houston Mack from um, Oregon has his own wine. I've heard of um, him, yeah. Series, yeah, and like the McBride sisters with Truve wines. So I've already written about a lot of them in collaborative posts on my site, but I really want to go back and write about each one and feature each, each one independently on my blog, just so people know about them and know to support them. Yes. Um, that they may not be as big. Some of them are true winemakers, so they have wineries, but they may not own tons of vineyards somewhere, so you may not be able to go to their vineyard to do a wine tasting, but you can buy their products in, you know, wine stores and grocery stores, things like that. So that's my hope with that. I would love to do like a POC wine tour. Oh, for sure. Like, yes. uh, that'd be amazing. Like, I think that would be so awesome because I feel like, like, like you mentioned, it's, we're so seldom seen in the, yeah. in the wine 
I guess, industry, the the sommelier right. industry. You know what's funny? I actually recently just went wine tasting with a group of people. Ah. It was myself and my boyfriend and um, in Oregon, because we're in Portland. And so um, ah, okay. we went out to the Willamette Valley. We went out, actually, we went to Dundee around that area. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because we were with two other couples who are very, very, like, cultured in wine and they're white couples mm-hmm. um, right. and like they knew like they have memberships to these places so right. they were buying right. cases of wine <laughs> at a discount oh my god and like me and my boyfriend are kind of just there like I can like we're, we're learning more about it but mm-hmm. I had to like change my thought process because I felt so defeated and so unworthy oh, no. of being there no just because I felt like I'm like I'm usually at home drinking like Beringers, you know, <laughs> you know, like, or like the which t- is fine. Yeah. It's like the learning curve. Yeah, and I had to change. My, I say all that today. I had to change my thought process while I was mm-hmm. there. I basically mm-hmm. had to be like, you know what. I deserve to be here just like they do, you know, yes. and I'm learning. Yeah. It's not just yeah. because I don't know as much. I didn't go into this knowing everything. I'm right. learning. Everyone about starts it. somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my how mom are you used to, to learn. Yeah, yeah growing up, my mom used to drink Riuniti on ice. So ah, I didn't, not wrong with that. I don't come I remember from. that. <laughs> There is nothing wrong with that. And I actually, as you mentioned, in terms of the learning process, I have a few ebooks coming out. And one of them is actually a U.S. wine guide for travelers. So I talk about all the major wine regions in the U.S. I want people to know like, okay, yeah, you may always drink Cab. Like, let's say that's just your favorite wine and you always drink that. But if you are in Oregon, try Pinot Noir. Yeah. You're known for Pinot Noir. So try Pinot Noir. So it's a very basic guide. And I think it'll be really helpful for people to kind of read when they're going to different areas. Like um, in September, I was in the Finger Lakes wine region in New York, which was absolutely beautiful. And I love Riesling. And that's their specialty is Ooh, Riesling. So I was in heaven. I had... Dry Riesling, semi-dry Riesling, sparkling Riesling. So, you know, so again, if people love Riesling and you're in the New York area, go to Finger Lakes Wine Region. So um, hopefully it'll be helpful for people kind of starting out or people who may know a little bit, but really don't know that much about. I learned myself because Michigan has a wine region that's up and coming. Really? And I was like, didn't know that. Like Michigan and Texas are two of the areas that have like up and coming wine regions. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm really excited. The first one should be coming out this month and then I'll have um, wine and food guides and the USA Wine Guide for Travelers coming out early next year. Yeah. So yeah, so well, I'm we'll, excited. We'll be posting that. Um. So what parts of Texas, because I'm from Texas and as someone from Texas and knowing how flat Texas is and how not like luscious per se, right. um, the grounds are, I don't, I, I'm very curious what, where the wine country is in Texas. Yeah, they said it's like hill country about 90 minutes from Austin. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I've never, I've only been to Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So I've never been to Austin, which I know is also a big foodie town. Yes, it is. Um, So yeah, apparently that's the area. So it's now made my list of places to get to. (laughs) (laughs) So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about food for a second. Um, Sure. Okay, so you've been all these places. If you can narrow it down, who has the, what area or what destination have you been to that has the best food that you love personally? That I love. So the, my two favorites so far, I would say, would be Thailand. Um, again, I love Thai food before even going to Thailand. Yeah. But of course there it was just, you know, on speed. I mean, it was, 
it was insane. Everything from even the hotel buffets to the restaurants. And then they had the night markets with all the food stalls. So, I mean, I didn't have any one bad thing there. And I ate Thai food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm not even kidding. Like three meals a day. A friend of mine lives there and invited us out for drinks at this beautiful rooftop bar. And we get there and the menu was like American. And I was like, what are you doing? Why would you invite me out in Thailand to an American restaurant? I want Thai food. He's like, but I figured you'd want to change because you've been here 10 days. I'm like, no. No. <laughs> yeah. I want all, we took a cooking class. I mean, it was just a great food experience. Um, the other place I always tell people when they ask for recommendations in Spain, I've been to Barcelona twice, Madrid and uh, Mallorca. And people ask for recommendations of restaurants in those places. I'm like, I don't think you can have a bad meal in Spain. <laughs> mm. I mean, I never have. I mean, you can go into like a hole-in-the-wall tapas place, and it's excellent. So those would be my two favorite international um, destinations for food. For the U.S., definitely New Orleans. I mean, I tell people, I go to New Orleans to eat. I mean, <laughs> no lie. <laughs> like, my husband and I were there one New Year's, and they were like, people were asking, well, why are you going to New Orleans for New Year's? Um, like, well, we had off and we wanted to eat, so that's we why were we're hungry. here. <laughs> last, we go there at least once a year, and we were there in April for the jazz festival, and they just had, you know, food vendors at the jazz festival. And usually, in most cities, that's not really good. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just okay. That was some of the best food I've ever had, was just from the food booths at the jazz festival. I had stuff I'd never had before there, like crawfish bread. Just delicious. Oh Absolutely delicious. We so, went to Essence Festival, and I mean, oh, we, we were like, they were selling foods on the street they too. They had, yeah, that um, food cart, little mm. inlet in a parking like lot. We were well, uh. we were there maybe, maybe five days, and honestly, by the end of it, I thought I had gout. <laughs> so everything was so rich and delicious and I was like you know what I don't really care you know I'll deal with this when I get home it's fine <laughs> we went yes. to dinner oh and later gosh. remember we went to dinner and then later that night I was like I'm gonna stop against some crawfish yes. and I literally sat <laughs> oh, in my bed stop. in the hotel and ate crawfish hilarious I love it I love it. Oh my God. I was Give like, me all the crawfish, all of it. Yes. That is how I feel when I'm there. That's funny. I had just, it's awesome. I had just never seen like a food truck that had collard greens. Right. Like there was like, <laughs> I was like, y'all making green? Greens in there? Like, Greens here. Was, and they are amazing. Very, oh my God. Now I'm hungry. They're yeah. Same. <laughs> right, same. Um, and then tell me this. What's your least favorite food from a destination? Like, what place um, has your least favorite? And it's, a, you know, it's an opinion, so right. no shade <laughs> so involved. For me, um, I, South Africa is one of my favorite places to visit. Like, I just love the people. I love the scenery, the history, everything about it. But they eat a lot of meat. And I eat meat, but I'm not like a big meat eater. Like, no, I don't want, you know, all the kangaroo and crocodile. And I mean, literally one restaurant we went to, we had gone on safari the day before. And the menu was like all the animals we had seen on safari. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, um. You're like feeling no, bad? How does that sustain fish? itself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I just saw this yesterday. Like, I'm not prepared to really eat that today. Right. So... It's definitely, my my husband will say, they have a lot of saucy meat. Like, you'll go to buffets there and you're like, well, what is that exactly? Yeah. So there I stick to prawns and fish when I'm in South Africa, usually. Um, I hear you. So, yeah. Um, okay. And so let me ask you about Atlanta. Because I know that you oh, live yeah. in Atlanta. You basically specialize in Atlanta. You can kind of tell people where to mm -hmm. go. What's your favorite place to eat in Atlanta? Or you can give me, I'm sure there's like so many. So you can give me like right. your top three. 
Yeah, I have to say, I've gained a lot of weight since I've lived in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Top places to eat. So, a lot of times in Atlanta, it's by regions. So, I live in an area、uh, like West Midtown, and literally, there's one street just filled with restaurants.、Um, one of my favorites there is called The Optimist.、Mm-hmm. Seafood,、uh, really amazing. And that chef actually has like six other restaurants in Atlanta. So,、um, one of the ones that he has is Superica, which is a Tex Mex restaurant.、Mm-hmm. So that's also one of my favorites. And then, in terms of like Southern food, soul food, South City Kitchen is one of my favorites. Old Lady Gang, which is candy、yeah. from Real Housewives of Atlanta. The OLG. I, <laughs> oh my gosh, I went there for the first time recently. They now have two locations, but、mm-hmm. I went to the original location、um, a few weeks ago. Excellent. I mean, just like fried green tomatoes topped with barbecue chicken and feta. Oh my I gosh. I just was like, woo! Um, so, that, that is、good. definitely、mm-hmm. come up to be one of my favorite places. And yeah, there's、um, South City Kitchen, again, like I said, is great for Southern and Creole food. And for st- there's great steak places here. Kevin Rathman is one of the leading chefs in Atlanta, and he has great steak restaurants.、Um, Kevin Rathman Steak, then he has KRS Steak.、Um, so, if you're looking for something like that, then I would say head to one of the Kevin Rathman restaurants. And there's always new ones coming up, which is crazy. I mean, there's new restaurants that open here like every other month. Yeah. So, it's sometimes hard. I actually have a list on my blog. Of all my favorite restaurants in Atlanta based on cuisine.、Mm-hmm. And I know I have to update it next year because there's new places that are doing really well.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, yeah, I have to kind of keep it's hard because I travel a lot, then I work when I'm here, and then I have to also make time to check out all the stuff going on in Atlanta. So it keeps me busy. Yeah. So, this is funny.、Um, I don't know if you guys heard about the Oprah Winfrey Girls Getaway Cruise. No, so, no. Oprah Winfrey is going to be godmother to a new Holland America ship. Because I also love to cruise. But、um, yeah, so she's going to be godmother to a brand new Holland America line of ships. And one that's coming out, they're doing the inaugural sailing in January. And Oprah Gale and O Magazine are going to be the hosts of this girls' getaway cruise. <sighs> yes. So it literally sold out that day. Like,、oh. I have like 15 <laughs> of my friends going. I was like, listen to me, this is not a joke. Book right now. Oh my、and、God, I wish I knew so about my, you. <laughs> I really appreciate the fact that my friends just, it's funny you call me the mayor because my friends call me that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm always organizing trips, organizing stuff. And so I have like 15 of my girlfriends going on this cruise in January. It's so funny you said that. You should see Rebecca literally has on a sweatshirt that says the Oprah Winfrey no, Show. You probably can't see it, but she's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm so disappointed. Oh, I'm so excited. It, it's going to be fun. Hopefully, she'll do more so that other people will get to you know, get to go to it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nadine. This has been awesome.、Uh, oh, tell us what you, you got going on next. So, you got some, anything, anything big coming up besides this amazing Oprah cruise? Anything、yes. big coming up that you have that you'd like uh, uh, our listeners to look out for? Sure. Yeah. Well, that, definitely my ebooks.、Um, the first one is going to be travel guides. So, it's a compilation of my most popular, most helpful travel guides that I have. Um, so, that'll definitely be out this month. So, look out for that. And then I have two other ones coming out early next year. One will be Culinary Travel, which will cover my food and my wine guides. And again, the third one will be a USA wine guide for travelers. So, that is all brand new that I wrote a few months ago. So, I'm really excited to share that with people. And yeah, I have already a couple trips booked, of course.、Um, I never let one trip end without having something else planned. So, we have、right. the Oprah Cruise in January. So, people can follow along with that. And then in March, I'm going to Amsterdam for the first time. So、oh, I'm really、fun. excited. 
I've never been. So I'm excited to explore the Netherlands and hang out there. So yeah, those are my next two trips coming up. So, and if anyone's in Atlanta, definitely follow um, The Sophisticated Life on Facebook because I'm always posting about Atlanta events. I check out all the luxury spas and hotel spas in Atlanta. And again, anytime I go out to eat, I'm always posting about it. So yeah, it'd be great if people follow me and just tag along for the ride. Nadine, you are goals. You are seriously goals. Like I'm so so hungry right now. Like (laughs) right, like you have me starving and inspired. And inspired. (laughs) Like I want to be a doctor. Like I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. It's a balancing act, but I love it. Thank you so much. We're definitely going to be posting all of your links uh, that you have so everyone can follow you um, and everybody can keep up with you and keep in touch. We're going to be tuning into this Oprah cruise because we're going to be so jealous. I want to know more. Yeah, and everything else you do, we'd hope to stay along for the ride. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Nadine. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, I'm now here with Jessica Van Dop de Jesus. Did I did I know yes. that? <laughs> okay, great. Uh so we're here and uh she is from the Dining Traveler. She is actually the Dining Traveler. Yeah. <laughs> um and I'm going to chat with her about um food and travel, the culinary essence of travel, I, I guess I can put it that way. So a few questions first, Jessica. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. And um so you joined the the Marines at a pretty young age, which I'm assuming took you, you know, took you on some travel. Um, was that when the travel bug first hit you? Like, could you give us some background on that? Well, I joined the Marines when I was 18 after my freshman year of college. And I think I've always had the travel bug. I just didn't have the money to travel or my parents didn't have the money to travel. So, yeah. Um, so we as a family, you know, we grew up in Puerto Rico. So we did a lot of traveling around there just because my, my dad knew people like in pretty much every town. So we used to do a lot of road trips and stuff. But like growing up in an island is a bit limited. Um, but you know, my dad was always like watching that geo and stuff like that. So I always had these like crazy dreams of traveling very far. Like I was obsessed with Australia for like years growing up. Yeah. And, uh, finally when I was like old enough and I, and I wanted some adventure and, you know, I did my freshman year of college and I just felt like I needed a bit more and I joined the Marines and that kind of filled the void. Nice. And so where did yeah. that, where did the Marines take you first? Where was the first place it uh, took you? So at first, because I joined the reserves, so I was still going to school. So it was a lot of um, local, you know, did tra- training in um, in Paris Island. And then I mm-hmm. actually had to live in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri for almost uh, like four or five months. Um, mm-hmm. So that was definitely, um, it felt very foreign <laughs> to me being a Puerto Rican girl from upstate New York and I mean to go to Fort Leonardwood. Um, so I did a lot of, we did like a few, I was a truck driver. So I did a few like cross country oh, cool. Um, truck rides like from Syracuse to Fort Knox, Kentucky. We did that two summers in a row. <laughs> wow, that's a so, big drive. So a lot of local. And then it wasn't until like um, three, three, four years after when I, uh, or yeah, I got commissioned, became an officer. And uh, my first uh, duty station was Okinawa, Japan. So oh, that like, okay, completely nice. changed the game. <laughs> that's so cool. So now you are a culinary traveler, if you will. Yes. <laughs> Have you always been super passionate about food and like the experience that you get from food and different foods? Uh, yeah. So growing up again um, 
in a Latino family, in a Puerto Rican family, and growing up uh, in an island where we were eating all sorts of, uh, like, now I think of all the stuff that I was eating as a kid, like pig's feet and lobster and um, mm. and like one of my favorite snacks were like um, anchovies. So mm-hmm. um, growing up in that environment, eating all sorts of weird things. It, and um, and my mom is a real, actually both of my parents, uh, my dad, he passed away a few years ago, but he was a great cook. And my mom was, uh, my mom has always been a good cook. So I always grew up in the kitchen and learning how to cook. And one of the favorite things that I remember, like my favorite childhood childhood memories always revolve around food. So needless to say, it's always been a big part of my life. So what was the first like uh, traveling food experience that you had? Like where was the first place that you went that you experienced like maybe food of another culture and was like blown away? So I have... I had three three different experiences that I have to say kind of like marked my my dining travel what what I call now me becoming the dining traveler. Uh-huh. And first is my freshman year of college. So I was um you know where I grew up in Rochester, New York. I went to mm-hmm. high school there. It was either you're Puerto Rican, black or white. Like there was not much other. So when I went to college, I was completely. I went to SUNY Albany, very diverse campus. So there was just like a little bit of everything, and I made friends with a girl. She actually she's still one of my best friends, Ragi, uh, who is Indian, and she uh, took me to an Indian restaurant, and I was like, mm. oh my god, I was like completely blown away with the food and. Uh, and it just and I don't know, it like sparked something in me to be open to um because at that point, like I was eating a lot of different things, but it was right. like under the realm of like Puerto Rican food mostly. So that kind of opened my eyes to other cuisines. And then secondly, obviously being stationed in Japan and we spent some time in Thailand during during that uh, that assignment. So that definitely opened my my eyes. But I think that to me, what opened my eyes of bringing people together through food was when I was deployed in Iraq. Mm. I remember having to go to a refinery with uh, out in Baghdad, and it was like all Iraqis, and they offered us lunch, and the other Americans were very hesitant, like, "Oh, you know, like, should I eat mm-hmm. this?" And I was like, "I've been eating in a cafeteria for a few months, so I'm gonna eat whatever they're." <laughs> they're I was like, "If they poison me, like, I'm gonna just die." Like, right, and I was so like, be it. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like. And this is some good food. And um, and I remember, like, the the guy there that was uh, in Middle Eastern culture, people are very hospitable. Mm-hmm. It's always, like, eat my food. So I think it really broke the ice, um, definitely, in that meeting. And um, and the guy actually even gave me leftovers. And <laughs> so I think nice. I, like, turned the tide of, like, could have been a tense meeting to, like, hey, I want to eat everything. I want to eat all that hummus. So, um, and it just, like, it, it, that opened my eyes on how, like, food is more than just eating, but communing with folks and, you know, perhaps, like, going beyond stereotypes and how you perceive folks. Mm-hmm. On The Dining Traveler, you talk about attainable luxury travel. Um, and I was like, I was thinking about those words because I was like separating them, like attainable, luxury, travel. So, <laughs> Sounds like an oxymoron, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, and for me, you know, personally, I'm a person that doesn't have a, I have some travel experience now, um, especially because I've been doing On She Goes. And a lot of my experience growing up, and even now is like there is no such thing as luxury travel. Like for me, for me, it's not an option. So what exactly does attainable luxury travel mean to you? And like what uh, tell me a little bit about like when you talk about it, you're, you're kind of like an expert and you know how to do it. Tell us a little bit about that. I think it's a combination, right? So I think that for people certain. Um, so what is luxury to you? Right. Everybody has a different um 
expectation of what they want is luxury. Some people think of it as a five-star hotel. Some people think of it as, you know, Michelin star meal. And I think at the end of the day is kind of deciding, like, I would fly coach if that means that gives me more money to stay at a nicer hotel. Right. I'm like also like a miles queen, like <laughs> both now my, my husband and I are like obsessed with collecting miles. So that always helps for upgrades. So it's always trying to find like that little, um, backdoor, um, you know, working for the government, um, you know, we get government rates. So like, sometimes I can stay at a Ritz Carlton, but with a government rate, um, a lot of people don't know that a lot of, uh, you know, properties will honor your military rate, even if you're not traveling on official order. So you can still use it for leisure travel. Um, wow. and that, um, especially during my time that I lived in Asia, like that, that was really handy. So I got to stay at these amazing properties that I would have not been able to afford otherwise. And, um, another tip that I give, especially like with fine dining is I always have my nice meal at lunch when I'm traveling. And mm-hmm. then at night I eat something a little bit more affordable because like even the Michelin star, uh, restaurants will have like, you can probably eat like half off during, during lunch. And then at night, then I like eat my ramen or like my more casual meal. So yeah, again, that's just, is always like finding that shortcut of, you know, and, and what's luxury to you for some people, they rather stay in a hostel and eat ni- nice meals every night. So it's like finding for you what's what's luxury and finding ways, whether it's points, whether mm-hmm. it's traveling low season. I think that's like a big one. Um, my biggest advice to a lot of people is like, you know, you want to stay at a nice hotel, you want to get a good rate, um, try flying, flying and traveling low season. Mm, OK, um, so you're also a mom of a toddler. Yes. Uh, super cute, super cute little girl. Yeah. And uh, so has becoming a mom changed the way that you approach travel at all? You know, it's funny because when I got pregnant with my daughter, first of all, it was, it was a surprise. So I uh, in my PSA is like, don't think that because you're in your late 30s, you can just <laughs> unexpectedly get pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, when I when I got pregnant with my daughter, like I was really uh, trying to scale Dining Traveler and um and part of me was like, oh, my God, like I have to do as much travel as I can because I'm not going to be able to travel once I have the baby. Right. Um, so I think I'm when I was pregnant, I went to like nine different countries. Like I was always on wow. the road. Um, so um, so when my daughter was born, we um, we were like, oh, like uh, people, because people are like, oh, my God, your life is going to change and this and this and that. And what we decided was the first two years, we don't have to pay for her uh, plane ticket. So we were like traveling. <laughs> and um, uh, my in-laws live in Holland. So that also gives us a family connection um, there. So, you know, she's been to Europe now five times. Like, oh, cool. We took her to Colombia. Um, she's been now 10 countries. So um, I think it's... Um, Again, I think this is also a reflection of my age. You know, back in the day, you know, I used to travel and I used to go out late at night. But even before I had my daughter, I found myself waking up earlier and going to bed earlier because I wanted to experience more of my destination during the day. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in that sense, it hasn't changed uh, my routine um, that much, especially traveling with her. Mm-hmm. I think it's like being more patient, you know, especially in the beginning when I was nursing and I would have to stop places to to, to nurse her. And right. um, I think now that she's a toddler, it's becoming a bit more challenging especially now that after we haven't traveled since she turned two which was last month okay uh, but now having to pay for her ticket so we're gonna have to like you know figure out you know different ways to is it uh, the same price or is uh, it it's a just discounted? like a little bit less which i was like kind of disappointed yeah <laughs> like, she's even weigh that much so. <laughs> yeah right. she's tiny <laughs> yeah so so I think that now that she's a toddler, she, you know, we've done more like road trips and things like that, but she's a bit more vocal. I've realized that like I have to find ways for her to take a nap 
because if not, she uh, turns into what I call a gremlin. Um, <laughs> this last a few months ago, we were in Italy. So we were like, OK, how do we plan naps? So we would like go on the long walk so she can fall asleep on her stroller and kind of mm-hmm. get the nap thing out of the way. <laughs> that sounds great. It sounds like you have it like down, like you have it completely down packed. It helps that having, you know, and I think that that's like my PSA for any person out there um, that wants to have children is finding a partner who's uh, willing to help and willing to put, you know, roll up their sleeves. And I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the support of my husband. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the baby dining traveler. Uh, I saw that on there. I saw that on your site. Um, Is it, I mean, toddlers, I feel like they're such finicky eaters. So is it hard to eat like the finest foods and cater to like a toddler's eating habits? Uh, You know, uh, we, again, we've got lucky with my daughter and I I really suspect that it was because when I was pregnant, I was, you know, I spent like six weeks in Japan with my job. So um, she, uh, she has like a really interesting palate. Like she actually likes spicy foods and like, interesting. uh, and, and there are things that you would, that people are like, oh, give them bland foods. But I find like the more complex tastes for her work better. So we uh, try to do, um, I mean, we pretty much give her whatever we're eating. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, my mom, when we grew up, my mom would always say, like, this is not a restaurant. And we try to like the same philosophy with our daughter. So whatever we eat, she eats. And also, um, I find that a lot of restaurants, when they have children's menus, they really dumb it down. And it's like chicken nuggets. And um, and I'm even talking nice restaurants. And so what we so what we end up doing is just um, ordering from the regular menu like we share our meal with mm-hmm. her and then just order a side of like whatever you know vegetables rice mm-hmm. you know whatever we think that's going to fit with her you know with her palate do you find that's the case in other countries that they have a kids menu but it's like it's Not really. still kind of dumbed down <laughs> no only here yeah i find only here like some restaurant i think that like more like the more um I would say kind of Americanized restaurants probably have that overseas. But for the most part, when we were in Italy, like we didn't see a children's menu anymore. Nice. (laughs) Um, And so wait, well, real quick, what's her favorite so far? What's her favorite uh, food like that from your travels? What has she liked a lot? So uh, she loves noodles. So we um, we go a lot for fall and she like loves noodles. Um, One of the things that I'm glad that we did, it was never underestimate her. Like we we treat her. We don't treat her as a a baby, but as a little person. So, I mean, there's things that I don't like and I'm not going to shove it down her throat. Um, And I think uh, our pediatrician gave us really good advice, like have her try something at least 10 times. And we've noticed that certain things like eggs, like she didn't like eggs, but now she's more, you know, open to eating them. So it's, mm-hmm. it's all trial and error with a kid. That's interesting. Yeah. What's been your favorite destination to travel so far? Like, what place have you gone back to because you just love it? So I have a few. Like, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to pick. So um, I love Thailand. Um, and um, I haven't been there in 10 years. But there, when I was stationed in Asia, it was much easier to get out there. So I went there like four times to two for work to two personal, but it was just one of those places. I don't know if it's because it was one of the first um, real places that I like spent like a lot of quality time um, in, but um, it reminded me a lot of Puerto Rico where I'm from, except that you're in Asia, great food. Um, obviously Puerto Rico is my heart. So I always, uh, I just got back from there a few weeks ago and, and I love that it never gets old, even though it's my homeland. There's just, Mm -hmm. um, always something cool new happening. Uh, Japan is, uh, again, I lived there and I have a soft place in my heart for it. And Mm -hmm. of course, Belgium also because I lived there and, 
Um, I have really good friends. And I find that Belgium is one of those places that is not on a lot of people's radar. Like people are like, oh, Paris, London. But right. in Belgium, you might come for a weekend and you might be like, ah, I don't know about, you know, but it's just one of those places that you kind of have to grow, grow to love. And, and those are the destinations that lately I've been gravitating more towards. Uh, tell me where you're dying to go next. Is there a place that you haven't been or like a place that you really want to try their their local cuisine or anything like that, that you're just dying to go? A bunch of places. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've been dying to go to Hong Kong, um, but it's one of those destinations that I want to do it right. So I want to have like the right time, the right, right. money to, <laughs> to go there. Um, so that's definitely one of the destinations on top of my list. I've heard a lot of amazing things about uh, South Africa. Oh, That's yeah. on top of my list. Uh, I definitely want to see more of Latin America. Uh, our next big trip might be Argentina. So uh, that's that's definitely um, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> do you think that you're able to recommend restaurants in different countries? Like, do you have uh, like you mentioned that you love going to Thailand? Do you have a favorite place to eat in Thailand? Well, I haven't been there in so long that yeah. I, I, I don't even know if the places that I've been to exist. But I think that the magic about Thailand, it's a street food. So it's mm. not like a specific restaurant, but it's like going to the markets and going to these like little anonymous stalls. So so for for Thailand, I, I don't I don't have anything that I, you know, mm-hmm. names from the top of my head that I would recommend. But um, but Japan, like there is a restaurant in Tokyo called um, Ochai. And it's a sushi restaurant, eight seater. It was it was amazing. It's like still goes down. It was two years ago, and I still think I know exactly what I had. So, oh, that's memorable. So, okay, yeah. that kind of brings me to my next question. You know, food's like a really major sensory experience. And like, if you can journey back for me for to your most memorable dining experience while traveling, like, what was it? Like, what was the? Where was it? What was the atmosphere like? What were the smells? Like, was there oh. music? And like. <laughs> You know, just what made it? Because it's it's it feels like it's not just the taste of the food; it's everything. No, it's everything, and and you know, it's it's just so hard to pick favorites. Um, yeah. So um, definitely, this experience in Japan and Ochai, it was a uh, this tiny place like the size of my kitchen, eight seats, and it was like on a Tuesday night, so it was just us two. You know, it was just like a very interactive experience with the chef and him telling us about the process of the food. It was just epic. The other side was the. Uh, I, w- I went to Malaysia with a friend of mine. I was pregnant at the time, and my friend was like, well, let's go to Malaysia and eat. And I was like, yes. Uh, she lives in Singapore. <laughs> and uh, we ended up going to this place. Our driver, um, she had uh, she had booked a driver to like take us around uh, Penang, which is an island off the coast of Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And we went to this place. Again, um, I have the name somewhere on the blog, don't remember from the top of my head, but I just remember like just having like white rice in this like, Chinese style pork and it had that uh that red glaze and it was just like savory but sweet at the same time and the rice even though it was just like plain white rice but it just tasted perfect and we were just sitting on plastic chairs outside and you just hear like the sounds of the tuk-tuks and the mortar bikes and just people and you know Asia is one of those places for me has always been like um like sensory overload because yeah. there's so much going on at, at the same time. So I have to say that that's definitely one of my other memorable. I mean, there's a lot of them, but from the top of my head, I can think of those too. Well, that's so awesome. Jessica, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, is there anything that you want to tell our uh, listeners? Like, do you have anything really awesome coming up that you want them to tune into or anything yes. like that? 
Um, well, I am releasing my first book called Dining Traveler Guide to Puerto Rico, and it's a hardcover uh, photo uh, travel guide of, of Puerto Rico. We traveled all over the island, um, taking uh, beautiful photos and uh, worked with an amazing Venezuelan photojournalist. And actually, most of our production team is Latino. Oh, nice. Uh, and, okay. Uh, the book will be released uh, hopefully in February. So I'm very excited to Yay. share that with everybody. <laughs> that's super. That's very close. That's how exciting. Yes. And congratulations. It's been like three years in the making. So I'm really, really, I feel like I've been pregnant for three years with this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to give birth to it. <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for being with us. Everybody, please follow her at Dining Traveler. Pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything, right? Yes. Yes, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Jessica. Well, thank you for having me. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, guys, my uh, my sister, Sarah Wesley, is doing a wonderful yoga retreat in Egypt in April 2019. It's called Renew, Remember, and Restore, A Return to Kemet. This is going to be a sacred soul awakening retreat, and I'm super excited for her. And she's here to tell us a little bit more about it. Um, Sarah, first of all, thank you for taking the time to talk to your sister. And <laughs> tell us a little bit about... Uh, uh, this retreat, why you decided to do it, who you're doing it with, and what it's going to entail. Yes, of course. Um, thank you, Sarita, for that wonderful intro. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's it's the Sacred Soul Awakening retreat that myself and my yoga partner, Tony Kapira Haru, he's based in Brazil, we got together and we created this retreat experience. After visiting Egypt and um, myself living there for a year, and we really wanted to bring some of this knowledge and, and the experience of being in Africa, in this sacred land, to people um, who otherwise might not have an opportunity to really see the real Egypt and the real Nubia. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of times, these retreats, a lot of times it's very touristy and like you'll see, you know, yeah. like the regular attractions, you'll visit the pyramids. But um, from my personal experience, when I would go and I would get a tour guide from a travel agency, I wouldn't hear um, some of the more complex philosophy and science behind maybe let's say like the hieroglyphics in a certain temple or the history that's connected to ancient Nubia. And while I was living in Egypt last year, I just got back about two months ago, I had the privilege of meeting really incredible people that you would really only meet just by living there and in passing and by chance. Right. You know, it was so transformative for me to see this African knowledge, this really powerful knowledge that existed, you know, thousands of years ago, still being used by people today. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's Kemetic Yoga. So I'm a certified Kemetic Yoga instructor. So we'll incorporate Kemetic Yoga and different breathing techniques um, that were practiced in ancient Kemet. So that's kind of the the intention and the inspiration behind it. But um, I guess like a little bit about about the actual retreat. We're gonna spend yeah. we're gonna spend eleven days in mm-hmm. Egypt. We're gonna do five days in northern Egypt in a place called Dashur, which is right outside of Cairo. And then we're gonna have a road trip. Actually, we'll have an overnight trip from um, from Dashur 
down to Aswan and we're going to stop in Luxor along the way. And then we'll do five days in Aswan, which is also, uh, that's the more recent name for Nubia. So we'll go from from Cairo essentially to Nubia over 11 days. There's daily comedic yoga, there's shamanic healing. We have a full moon ceremony in the Sahara Desert. We're gonna visit the Sphinx, the Pyramid, Abu Simbel, which is considered like the most magnificent temple of all of them. It's huge. Yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be healing. We're gonna have emotional detox workshops. We have um, a Nubian village chief who's gonna teach us about the famine stone. That's like the biblical famine stone. Um, it actually exists, and there's writing on it um, from from Joseph from the Bible. It's it completely changed my perspective about you know religion to see something mm. like live and. <laughs> In right, the flesh, and actually, yes, like proof. actually existing yeah. today. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so a lot of things, a lot of ancient wisdom, a lot of healing, and a lot of, a lot of yoga. Yeah, and what about the food? Uh, you, I said that you're gonna have vegan, organic meals and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have um, organic. Everything's organic, so mm-hmm. it'll be a completely organic diet, and um, the meals will be primarily vegan and vegetarian. You know, if you prefer some meat on one of the um, retreats. I know not everyone's a vegan or a vegetarian. We do offer that as well. So. And so how many spaces do you have left? I know you said you had limited space. Uh, how many spaces do you have left and how can people sign up? Yeah. So right now it looks like we have about four people already committed. So okay. we're doing a total of nine people. So there's really only about five spaces left. If okay. the spaces fill up before February, then we might extend it to 11 people, but 11 would be the absolute maximum number because okay. we really want it to be an intimate experience. So if you want to sign up or get more information, you can go to returntokemet.com and that's return, T-O-K-E-M-E-T.com and okay. um, click on Sacred Soul Awakening Retreat and it'll show all the info. If you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a yellow button that says register now. And that's where you start the registration, fill out the forms and all that good stuff. Yay. And everybody also go and follow my sister, Sarah, at Sarah West, S-A-R-A-H-W-E-S. And she's always posting beautiful photos because she is beautiful. And uh, (laughs) yeah, check out Return to Kemet. It sounds like an amazing experience. I actually really want to try to come. You should. It sounds so awesome, so dope, and like, I, I'm also like a little scared of the transformative change that I might have if I go. <laughs> like I feel like I might change too much, and like like you, I might not come back. So. I know, I know. I have a feeling like it's like I want to get to know myself, but I don't know if I want to know myself that well. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. You don't uh, know you want to go that deep. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sarah. I love you to death, and I love everybody. You too. Everybody check it out. And uh, thanks, girl. Of course, of course. Oh, I wanted to mention one more thing. Okay, Um, go ahead. So if you live on the continent of Africa or Mm -hmm. you are an Egyptian national or you are interested in doing a couples situation, there's a discount. So all of that is on the website. Holla if you hear me. I like a couples discount. (laughs) All right, girl. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, Sarah. Bye.
Thanks, guys, for listening. It was really awesome talking to Jessica and Nadine. Make sure you check out Jessica. Um, her website is called The Dining Traveler. And make sure you check out Nadine. Her website is called The Sophisticated Life. Um, follow those ladies. They're really awesome. They have such amazing travel tips. And they're women of color who are killing it uh, in this travel game. So please check them out. And thank you so much for tuning in. See you later. Thank you.